0: I think I'm on here. Sometimes these things give you fits, but I think they're, it's working for me. You might turn it up just a little bit. Of course, eventually you're going to have to turn it down. I know that. <laughs> Amen. So our uh, sermon today is Liberation from a Troubled Heart, John chapter 14, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 1. John chapter 14. So um, we actually had a Tuesday night Bible study, um, not here in our church, but I I I was able to join that with somebody else earlier this week. And this scripture was part of that Bible study. But what was unique was um, prior to that, it was the same thing that I felt was on my heart earlier in the week. And I can't help but feel like this is... Essential and primary for today and for many of us here and maybe even people that are not here at the moment. But um, what God wants to do to liberate us from a troubled heart. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you again today, Lord, that there's something tremendous about this book because we don't just call it the Bible, Lord. We know it's your word. And that means that every word we read in this is from your mouth. Lord, it's conveyed to us from your mind and your thoughts. And that's essential and important for us to know. Because in the world of confusion around us, Lord, if we'll hold to what you have said in your word, Lord, we have safety. We have the provision of everything here. And God, I just want to pray today, Lord, that you would speak to those, Lord, who are going through distress, through hardship. Lord, those who are even uh, struggling to figure out how to overcome depression. Lord, I know that there's more to it, but I pray that within this message that, Lord, that you will literally bring liberation to those hearts that are bound and struggling. Father, whether it's those who are here present with us or somebody who will listen to the sermon online, but they will hear it and Lord, it will speak to them, the thing that they need to hear. And, Father, we know Lord, this is nothing new. This is something common and normal in humanity that, Father, only you can have the power to break over our minds and liberate us. And bring us back into the joy, Lord, that you intended. Lord, help us serve you, Father, with gladness and joy in every day of our life. Lord, help us come into the house of God with the high praises that, Lord, you deserve. Rather than our hearts bowed down by pain and suffering and and despair and struggle, help us lift up our voices to the King of Kings, Lord, with shouts of victory and shouts of joy. And so, Jesus, I know... That there's truths here that for some are going to be essential to them in this moment. And so, God, I just pray that you'll speak to them those truths that will bring them joy and freedom. Lord, you said that we shall know you and we shall know the truth and the truth shall set us free. And God, so many are trying to find truth outside of your word and outside of your truth, God, and we're missing it in that way. So, Lord, help us today. Lord, receive from you and anoint every heart to receive in Jesus name. Amen. So in John chapter 14 verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Now, it's important when we read a verse like this in the Bible to understand where is it coming from? Where is its context? What's its background? Because otherwise, it's like, why is Jesus saying this, or whoever's saying it, but in this passage, Jesus, why is he saying it to that audience, and why is it important to them? And so, if you uh, look into John chapter 13, and we're going to start with verse 1, this will give us the background in this uh, passage of Scripture. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So what you're seeing here is this is Jesus' farewell to his disciples. Jesus is saying to those men that had walked with him and and had surrendered and completely given over their life to live for him, to walk with him to be his disciples, that this was his farewell message to them. So it's really important for us to catch that background because we realize in the narration of this that this is going to be the hardest moment of their lives. This is going to be the most desperate situation that they found themselves in because Jesus had given them new meaning to life. He uh, re-identified everything about them. And that's important to remember because these men were, some of them fishermen. So they were walking in different paths of life. And Jesus basically took them and started a whole new course with them. They saw the greatest miracles known to man. They saw that this is the very breathing, living son of God. This is God in flesh. And I get to walk with him. And so this, out of all the people in the world, we were just a few of those who could. And I believe in that. And it was tested And it was tried. And they watched him go through persecution and suffering and difficulties. And they stayed the course with him. And they walked through him in this moment. And now Jesus is delivering a message that essentially none of them want to hear. They don't want to hear that this is my hopes and dreams and all mounted up in in the Messiah, in Jesus himself. And now I don't know what I'm going to do. I imagine at this point, at least I would feel What am I to do with this? What is my life supposed to look like after this moment? And so Jesus is trying to share with them. He's not just trying to encourage them. He's telling them something that's essential for what they're about to face. And I love what the Lord does in our lives. If we're close enough and connected with him, he prepares us. We don't just all of a sudden land in the tribulation and the trial without the preparation because he knows that there are certain things coming from him that we need um, in preparation for what's gonna happen. So a couple of thoughts in this is they're they're ready to face and maybe you're experiencing the same thing, tragedy and stress. And I wanna bring out both of these today because I feel like both of them are essential to this. Now, maybe some of the stress of the moment And it may be the stress that's about to come. But tragedy, in the dictionary, the definition for tragedy is an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. An event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. My first point here is tragedy provokes that part of our nature that fears our own misery. So whenever we go through tragedy... It provokes that part of us that fears our own misery. So immediately it's like we want to find an escape to this. We don't want it to happen. So secondly, our emotions are indirectly stirred by the thoughts that weigh down on our minds. So what I'm talking about oftentimes that depressing and the despair that hits you when all of a sudden tragedy hits, tragedy comes, and now the emotions are are stirred through that. But why am I so deeply depressed emotionally? Why am I struggling and suffering as if I want to get over the sorrow, but I can't because those emotions are stirred by the thoughts that are weighing you down. Depression and discouragement are a direct result of the emotional imbalance and fixed state of our minds. And I I say that purposely, the fixed state of our minds on both the real and perceived suffering brought on by the tragedy. So the, de- the depression that comes as a result of this imbalance in our emotions and how fixed our minds, it's like they're fixated on what's troubling us, what's bothering us. And as much as you want to get your mind off of it, for some reason you keep coming back. And, and you'll notice this when somebody's had a tragedy or near somebody of death and their family or something uh, tremendous has happened like that. And it's been a difficulty that their minds are absorbed with it. And even if you get them in a place where they're enjoying life or having a moment of peace, somehow that's kind of wiped away and they're brought back to that point of reference. And the reference is that, that sadness. I remember my mom, when my, my grandmother had died and we were here at the funeral and my mom she, she was grieving so much during the uh, the um, graveside service that you almost couldn't get your focus on what the minister was doing because it was all too obvious what was going on for her. But it was so, so uh, difficult for her in the moments that she was just grieving and grieving through it. Well, she grieved herself to a point of a heart attack. And what's known as, I, I i can't remember the medical term for it, but basically it's a stress-induced heart attack from that grief. So I went from my mo- my grandmother's funeral service to being life-flighted with my mom. First time on a helicopter, that was enjoyable. I mean, it was like, not under the circumstances, but it's the first and only time I've ever been on one. And being life-flighted, thinking to myself, am I about ready to face two graves of people that are dear and near to me. And so um, she was so fixed, her mind, on the loss of her mother that nothing else around her was helping her to get over that and to go work through the grieving process of life. Some of us have been there. Maybe some of us are there. This is largely why the mind is a target of scripture. So when you think about that, there's so much that the Bible talks about in our mind. So go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 2. another one in Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the meditation of my mind, the things that I'm thinking of. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, in James chapter 1, verse 21, and an overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, What it's saying is what it says in the Bible, receive that with meekness because it saves your soul. So what you think on, what you meditate on, what comes to mind, you spend your time absorbing your thoughts in has a very huge impact on your life. And especially for those who are going through times of depression and despair, something that's bothering you and you're thinking about it. And, and we all know that all of us go through times of grief, but what we also need to know is that grief don't overtake us in such despair that we don't pick ourselves up out of depression. And people are going there. There's suicides and um, statistics behind that that numbers of people are dying daily because of suicidal tendencies and commitment to the struggle of their mind that they don't get over. Stress. So this is where I think it meets most of us right now, right today, right where we're at. And that is a state of mental. So the definition for this is a state of mental and emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or demanding circumstances. Let me read that one more time. A state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or demanding circumstances. How many of you can say? I feel that right now, in my life, going through what I'm going through, I got a few hands. Is there a few more out there? We got a few out there that are saying, "Yes, I go through. I'm going through strain." If you're not now, you will be in the near future. I was this week. So, aside from pastoring and ministering, I still work a couple days a week doing some landscaping. And so, we were um, on a job site. And a part of this job site, this was one this is probably the only time since I've worked for them in 14 years that we were actually, I wasn't designing the sprinkler system myself. And so this was somebody else's design. And so I was looking over the design, and the problem was there wasn't there wasn't specifics in it, like what size of pipe we we're using, what fittings were going in there. We went anywhere from two and a half inch pipe down to one and a quarter inch pipe. And so there was all kinds of variances there, just to kind of give some of the specifics in that sense. So I looked at the map and I'm like, okay, I know basically where the placement of the heads are and I know what the zones look like, but I don't know any more by this map than that. And I've got parts and pipe, and now I gotta figure out how to put this together like I'm creating a design off somebody else's design. So while I was doing that, I was beginning to get stressed. I was beginning to get stressed because it's like, okay, we need to hurry up and get guys going, but I'm also trying to figure out how to make this work. And so I go through, I'm looking at the pipe and I start coming up with the design and I'm writing things down for guys who are still learning. And when it's all said and done, we start doing it. And I'm realizing while we're in the process of doing it, this is not working out right. The parts aren't right for now. I got to go back and look at the parts and not just the pipe. So I did that and redid it again. And I probably did that three times, three or four times, coming to the realization of no matter how much I do, somebody else put this together. Somebody else had this in mind. And and we're missing things that are supposed to come in back order later on. All of that just adding to the stress of the moment. And the realization of it was almost like this. It felt like I was trying to figure out how to put a puzzle together before you put it together. Every individual piece really awkward, just just to say that much. So I was feeling the weight of that stress. I think this is common and normal for the average person. Every day you feel like you got to do more. There's not enough time in the day to be able to accomplish the tasks in front of you. There's so much uh, people relying on you. You're supposed to be uh, in uh, control of this and for some reason you're not doing a great job at it. There's a thousand things when it comes to home life, work, Whatever it is, there's stress seems to be all around us. And so the mental state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or demanding circumstances. Now, do I have a few more hands? Is there a few more like, okay, he defined that well, I'm there, okay? So not that I want you to be there, but I'm just saying I think that this is where we're at in life. So stress is often due to the unrealistic expectation We impose on ourselves whether or not it comes from something actual or a perceived fear. Imposed stress that we put upon ourselves. It's unrealistic expectations. So one of those things I would say is I think there's a lot of people who feel like that they have got to meet everybody else's uh, perceptions. So somehow they think, They think this certain way of me. Now, you don't know that, but you believe that. And because you believe that, somehow you've got to, before they express it, you've got to fit their expectations. That's just one area where we see this played out over and over again. Like, I think that this is the way that they're thinking or feeling, so I'm going to try and do this. But they could be thinking this instead, so I should probably do this instead. But they could be thinking this and so you understand where I'm coming from. And that, that obstacle of mind, the unrealistic expectation on yourself that somehow, without knowing, you're going to have to try and do that. And so we feel that pressure, whether somebody's really doing that to us or they're not. And then I say that this unrealistic expectations that you impose on yourself, because even if somebody else expects it of you, you're still imposing it behind them. You're saying, I have to do that even though I don't believe that they should be telling me that. Or I think that they're right and I feel like I have to do it. Now, in our world right now with things that are going on, the expectations of mandates and vaccines and everything else, you have to ask yourself the question, who are you going to trust in? Where are you going to put your security in? When are you going to finally give up the stress? When are you going to finally let go of trying to meet everybody else's expectation and even the unreal expectations of your own self? When are you going to let go of it? At some point, you have to realize that if you don't, it's going to weigh you down to such a depression that who knows where it ends when it's finally come to its full strength. Um, Here's a few other thoughts on some of this unrealistic expectations we impose on ourselves. So I want to share this thought with you, just some truths we know that we need to remember in these moments. You are not capable of the impossible. Just remember that. When it comes to expectations, you're not capable of the impossible. You cannot go back and undo what was already that has already occurred. Now, a lot of us, in a sense, it's like we feel guilty for something that's happened. We wish it could be a different, but you cannot undo it. You are not responsible for everybody else's judgment, especially against things that were not your fault. And the reason I say that is because people literally carry that. We carry those burdens. It's not your fault, but somebody else is making a judgment on you, and you feel the weight of that, and you impose on yourself this sense of you're at fault when there's nothing you could have done differently. Our guilt may be compounded by our own wrongdoing. We have to remember that. So oftentimes we're like, I did something wrong, and that caused this situation, or helped cause this situation to come to be. Stress is often due to our moral nature. um, uh, Stress is often due to our moral nature. I'm not sure exactly what I had in mind there, but we'll just continue on the next point point. we'll go with that. The mind naturally disapproves of moral failure. This is a huge part when we talk about sin, when you're outside the church, people don't talk about it as sin. But we have to realize when we morally, we do something morally wrong, there's something that God has built in you that brings this the sense of, I'm wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And as a result of that, it is in our created moral nature to condemn sin and vice, even if it is our own. So there's something inside of us that says, what you did was wrong, and it is wrong. Now, I know there's a lot of things changing in society that we're trying to undo that in ways, but you just can't get past it. Conviction is a result. Conviction of sin is a result of our mind's clear knowledge of our blameworthiness and the weight of that on our mind that naturally causes stress. So what I'm saying is this, to simplify it, when you sin, and you do something you you know is morally wrong, you already have a conscience that reveals that to you. And because of that, without resolving the sin issue in your life, you're going to feel the weight and the stress of that on your mind. You can't get away from it. This stress or conviction of God cannot be relieved except through repentance. So I have to have a change of my heart and direction toward God. And a lot of people, the direction or what we call repentance is a 180 degree turn. I'm changing from the way that I was and what I was doing. And I'm going 180 degree the other direction. So whatever that moral failure is, but it's also a change in the way you look at God. So, so many times when we do something that God disapproves of, we try and, paint it in a better picture and create a justification over it. And at some point, when you're changing your heart toward God and repenting, you stop saying it's okay. It's alright for me to have done that. You stop saying, well, because of them, and you start putting the blame where it goes. And the blame comes back on me and not on God and not on somebody else. And then the repentance begins to change or change your heart. Okay, I am to be blamed. You don't stay just in that. And that's the thing. People are trying to run from stress by running from blame. I did the wrong, and, but I'm not going to acknowledge the wrong, and somehow I'm going to overcome my stress. The way you deal with those situations is, if, if say in an instance, I had an offense with somebody. I did something that was hurtful to them. I can't say oh the stress goes away if I start thinking better of myself I go to that person and I say I'm sorry I apologize and do what I can to restore that relationship the stress leaves because the sin has been dealt with does that make sense so I think that that's so important because the world we're living in is saying this one sin is not sin evil is not evil and When we start redefining what's wrong, even our conscience is telling us we're not right in the assumptions we're making, but we're going to try and override that. We find ourselves in this uh, stress and despair that you can't overcome. It's overwhelming and you can't overcome it until you deal with it the way God has told us to. So that was the cause of tragedy We're going to talk about the caution that Jesus gave in chapter 14, verse 1. What did he say? He said in 14, chapter 1. So go ahead and turn there. Oops, I'm in Matthew. 14, chapter 1. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. So he says, do not let your heart be troubled. And that's peculiar to me because you know somebody who's going through depression right now. How hard is it? If, if you were going through depression, I went to you and I said, just don't go through depression. Don't let your heart get depressed. Do you know what they're going to say at that moment? They're going to be like, I hate you huh. because you have, you're trying to tell me to just undo it all. And I don't know how to do that. If I knew how to do that, do you really think that I would be... In this moment, occupying the stress is just weighing me down. But Jesus had said this, but he didn't just stop there. But I just want to say that this is the caution. What Jesus is saying, I'm cautioning you. When these things happen and I'm gone, and now you're going to face your world without me present in physical form, now that that's happening, you're going to have to keep your heart from being Uh, in despair as a result of it. And even though they did come into a place of despair, it was like you're going to have to work out of this. So one thought that's really important when we're dealing with despair and depression is when it comes to God, voluntary cooperation is necessary. So here in Psalm chapter 42, verses 1 through 8, if you'll turn there, please. Psalm chapter 42, verses 1 through 8. Not hearing very many pages turn. Does that mean you guys got phones out there? <laughs> <laughs> Psalms 42, 1 through 8. Voluntary cooperation. So I'm going to take you to somebody who, in the Bible, there's a there's a narrative here. You can sense his depression and his despair. Psalm 42, 1 through 8. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now that all sounds great, but listen to him as he goes further. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Now you're seeing this point of stress in his life. These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the, uh, a throng and led them in procession to the house of God. So what he's saying is, I attended like a church. I went to the house of God with these people, and I sang praises with them. With the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. There's this point of stress in his life. And even though he knows that God is his reference point, he's still struggling to be able to come to that. So so, um, so first of all, we see him identify his point of grief, and I think that's so important with people who are going through a hard time. Identify where your grief is. What is the cause of that grief? And he is recalling the truth that he knows and believes and looking to the grace of faith to lay hold of. You sense that in here because he's, he's, this is in a mix of pain, suffering, sorrow, despair, and yet the same of God will lift me up. God will hold me up. Somehow I can trust and rely on him. Though disposed to great despair, it is evident that God by grace is helping him reject the lies meant to consume him in grief. Also, God is present through the weight of despair that is tossing him back and forth. So, this is, I, I want to say this is so important because a lot of times when somebody's in despair, it's as if God's not there. To them, the way their minds are weighing on them, it's, not, it's like He's not there in this moment. And they're struggling to be able to see God in the moment. But remember this He's there. Even though there might be clouds that hide the sun, you know the sun is behind the clouds. And so is God, behind the clouds of despair, going, taking place in your life. So I want to finish the rest of this story of my week that I was talking about, that stress, stress point. Because for me, it kind of reminds me of the psalm in a sense. But I, I, I had this reality check, and it was this. That my relief could be dramatically reduced by getting a hold of the guy who made the design to begin with it was really that simple i could dramatically be reduced if i tr- if i saw that now if he was on site and he was showing me that would make a difference and it really kind of hit me was god was like do you not realize that the whole focus of the christian life ultimately so the lord used this as an illustration point in my life the whole focus of the christian life is to be so near to him that you're always Consulting the designer and the Lord if he's orchestrating the events of my life knows why I'm going through what I'm going through for the moment So the more I call on him the more I find the help I need That is number one. I would say Rarely do you see somebody who's going through a time of struggle and stress and despair Call out on the Lord and make him their stay and, and let the Lord have his way in that moment of struggle. So for me, I realized after I called him, he gave me some of those specifics. There's still a lot of things I still hadn't gotten, but I could have gotten more in detail with him. But he knew the details. That's the, that's the focus. He knew the details and he knew what I needed. So, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I think that's so important here because we talk about, when we say belief, it's really faith in God. And so, here's my first point overcoming faith is designed to work in the midst of discouragement. Listen to me on that. Overcoming faith, Jesus didn't design this thing, God didn't set it up so that when you went through despair, that you would fail he made sure that there was provision for you in the discouragement in the trial in the suffering and that's the way God's mapped out our lives you think God in his creation and the way he set things up he knew that our hearts would be prone to happiness joy and fulfillment and He also knew that we would be prone to sadness and sorrow and grief and in those grief he supplied for us what we need but the difference is Where we access it, or we will let it be like a bank that, or yet it's open, and the teller is there, somebody's there to be able to access the account and give me what I need, but I'm not going to the bank. I'm not going to spend time, uh, my precious time, to go and, and get a hold of God and find out what he has that's going to help me in this time that I'm going through. And so this overcoming faith is designed to work in the midst of discouragement. So important that we realize that even though I'm discouraged, even though I'm going through something, I know that God has something for me that I'm not seeing in the midst of that. Christ reveals his mighty power in the valleys. So Jesus made the statement to them. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. I've gone to prepare a place for you. What he's doing is securing something for them in the future. And so many of us have to stop looking in the moment and look at what's ahead of us. So what is it that could be on the other end of this? When the tragedy is over and the war is done, what is going to be the victory? What is going to be the joy here? So you hear so many times in the Bible, somebody expressing this struggle and this, why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God, you know. But it's there and it's coming. And for those of us who've had some maturity and some times and dealings of the Lord and some experience in life, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. He comforts in tribulation. It's actually in the scripture that God comforts us in our tribulation. God wants to be there in those moments. You know, I think it's interesting. Now, now think about this. Do you think that you have a heart more for people and for your family and for your children than what God does for you? Now, imagine if my child, one of my sons uh, or my daughter, and you saw it while we were worshiping this morning, you saw my daughter just hugging close to me. Do you think when she's in a moment of tragedy that I'm far away? The more that she's suffering, the closer I am. My heart is close to her. So there's ways that God wants you to recognize that the hope that you have is not in the release of the tragedy a lot of times. It's in the relief of the relationship. It's not relief from the tragedy, but relief in the relationship. Trust what you know about God's heart, not in how you feel in the moment. The faithfulness of God does not keep us from hardship. His faithfulness preserves our cooperation and union to him in his grace and favor in all circumstances. John 16, verse 33. These things have I spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. These things have I spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. So in Christ is your peace. The world is your tribulation of good cheer, I have overcome the world. There is absolutely nothing you are facing that God will not himself be your comfort if you will embrace him in the moment. In living under the gospel, we shall soon see that no security or tragedy compares to Christ himself. This is what Jesus was painting for his disciples. My physical presence is gone, but my presence is not completely gone because the Spirit of God would be there to comfort and strengthen them. And there would be a daily union with him despite this change in their life. So look in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 and 39. Paul says it this way. He says, if in this life is our only hope, we're of all men most miserable. If all we get here is here, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of misery following. There's a lot of people who don't get the joys of life in this world, as it were. But what's their hope? What's their joy? What's the final end? Romans chapter eight, verses 33, 35 through thirty-nine. Who shall separate us? Listen to this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's not talking about who's is is it's not possible. For you to separate yourself from the tribulation in the world. But who can separate us? What situation in the world or anything around us can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... And when Paul's talking about tribulation, he's not talking about tribulation like we do when we pour a a hot cup of coffee on our lap and we're going through a hard time through that or... We miss the appointment, or something like that. He's talking about literally people trying to put them to death for their faith. That's tribulation, or distress, or persecution. These are—I the, mean, these are the top of the list. I mean, you're not going to get worse than these things here. Or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake. We are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Now he's talking about himself. Yet in all these things, listen to what he says. We are more than conquerors. He doesn't say we just get to conquer. We are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. People don't have a relationship with God. They're missing the whole point of security. So when we know him and we love him and he's the focus of our day and he's the focus of our week and he's the focus of our life and honoring him and loving him in life, we begin to be persuaded that our greatest prize is the God who's given us life and breath, not the peace of our circumstances, but are we at peace with him? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that amazing? Because of the world we know it, and even in our own lives, we're saying, But how come it is, this truth? How come it's... It doesn't matter how close you feel to it. It matters, is God faithful to what He says? Is He true? And I will say this, every person we know has the potential and usually does at some point in our life fail us. They say things, they promise things, and it doesn't happen. But God is not that way. He doesn't lie. And the moment one of us catches God, we will be able to have an accusation against God. There is no way that we can blemish the integrity of the divine and perfect character of God. So in the end, if we suffered the the tragedy and the stress and the weight of that took us down and we missed God's provision. It wasn't because God didn't make it. It's because you didn't go to the bank and get the transaction. You didn't spend time and say, Lord, in this moment of stress, please help me in my weakness. Strengthen me in this sorrow, in this hardship that I'm going through. Because we're knowing that that is a reality in our lives, folks. And I'm saddened to say that I know what it's like. One of the greatest tragedies and things that hit me in my life was the death of my dad. I remember, I remember walking out of that hospital room and going back into getting in my car and getting ready to drive home and feeling like the whole world had gone dark. The whole world had gone dark. And I remember one of those plaguing thoughts going over my mind, thinking, oh, Lord thinking of the future of what my dad had missed at 59 years old, he had died. And I was thinking of, he's not going to get to see his grandson grow up. And at that time he'd only had one grandchild. And that was my older son, Isaac, Caleb and Sarah hadn't been born yet. And I was thinking of the, the time I wanted to spend with him. I wanted to kind of redeem the time lost between our relationship and realizing That was all gone and it was all over. And for me, it felt like the Jesus was, it was like the words that Jesus was saying to his disciples is that I'm about to leave and the days of your mind are going to become extremely dark. And if you remember in the Bible, when they were in the garden praying, when they were praying, it said they were asleep for sorrow. They were asleep for sorrow. They'd been so sorrowful that they just couldn't pick themselves up. How many of us have been there? That what's going on in my life and the stress over my mind, I just can't get myself out of bed. I can't motivate myself to face the world today. And that is going to happen at some point in our lives. And in that moment, what Jesus is saying is, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe. From it, He was going to let them walk through those moments of loneliness and darkness to prove in the everlasting strength and the grace of God to keep us when nothing else can. When nothing else will preserve us, God will be there in those moments. And if that's not the message for today, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. And believe me, there's people in their life who have faced tragedies that I can't speak of. There's things that they've faced that I don't know how to begin. But I can say this. I know the comfort that God gives. I know how precious it is to have my heart melted down in such stress and find what I don't know, but it seems so miraculous in this moment. I felt like I had nothing but weakness to offer you. And in your goodness and grace, you strengthened me. And I'm feeling joy when I felt like just a moment ago I was in stress and I was broken down and struggling. And so like this week's work, and you think, okay, so I'm not going through a family death. But what about the stress of your life that you're constantly taking on, constantly receiving stress from every point, your relationships with others? What do you do in the midst of that? You believe in God. Let not your heart be troubled in the midst of it. So what am I going to do in the moment where people are laying expectations on me and I'm trying to filter into that somehow, come into the re- reality that this is a dead-end road. It's not going to go anywhere. I'm going to get on my knees in softness and, and humble before God and say, Lord, It's got to be that same grace that touched your disciples will touch my life. And imagine that moment of darkness that Jesus himself was going through when he was just ready to approach Gethsemane, and he was getting ready to go to the cross. And this is a moment of the greatest sorrow of ever ever in human history because Jesus was going there, and there's such stress upon his mind, such stress that he began to sweat drops of blood. There's nobody that I know of in human history but Jesus himself that sweat drops of blood. And it was because of that grief that was on his soul for humanity. Jesus went through the greatest grief to deliver you from your greatest stress. So let's take it all to him and remember the promise that Jesus made. Remember the promise of God. Cast all your cares on him. Go to him on every single care, small, minute, big, every detail, and take it to him. And he cares for you. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Yes. Such a sad world that we live in that so many people feel like that all that they've gone through, that the one on earth, the, the one that they're blaming the most is God, you weren't there. And I remember those moments where it wasn't just God fell down from the sky and hit me. That's why I said in the sermon earlier, it was a voluntary cooperation. Grace wants to touch your life, God in his mighty power wants to move in your life. But you've got to cooperate with that grace. You got to lend yourself to it. You got to you got to be open to it. You got to open your arms and say, "Lord, here I am." Because if you don't do it, it's not going it, to as, as available as it is to you. As sure as God is faithful, He doesn't impose His mercy and His love upon a person and a heart that's not willing the moment in that, in that stress that you're facing and I'm willing for it. I'm willing to have it. Even though at the moment I feel like... you've been faithful despite your weakness and despite the, str- the struggles that you're going through. So remember the words of Jesus for yourself. Don't let your heart be troubled. That doesn't mean you're not going to have a moment of despair. It means you're going to have victory. You're going to be able to hold on to him. He'll be your peace. But what I, this is weird. I'm feeling joy. But the tribulation is still going on all around. Things are still crazy. People are crazy. The world is crazy. But I'm still full of joy. Where's that joy coming from? That joy is coming from Him. And that's the only way we identify it. It's, Lord, you've given me what no man could give to me. What's impossible for man is possible with God. Amen? So I pray that you've been encouraged, strengthened. I hope if you're going through something, you're holding on to Jesus right now. And this is that moment for you. That if you're like, okay, this is me, and I need to spend some time with the Lord, I want to open up the front to you while we uh, let the, um, the worship team sing another worship song. And you just let the Lord melt your heart. You let him touch you in that point. And also share it with somebody. Share it with somebody that you know is going to be there for you. And if somebody's not there, it's either me or my wife, and we want to be there for you. And, you know, I want to say this, and I want to say this to men, but I want to say this to all of us. Don't let your pride. Don't let your pride say you're not. You're not stressed. That's a huge thing. If you don't realize, man, I am stressed, and I need the touch of God on my life. Well, no, I can get through this. I can get through this. I'm going to get through this. Careful for that, because you'll miss something God has for you in it. Don't let your pride get in the way. Spend some time with the Lord. There's something. No, there's no, nothing so beautiful as a man, a strong. Man, A man that's being touched by God, melted down, tears of love ministering to his heart. We need that today. We need men that are melted down by God, and he does it for us. Amen. So I'm going to pray. And then while I'm doing that, uh, Will and um, Beverly and Emily, if you'd come up, and uh, just worship the Lord and give him your time this morning. We want to invite you to do that.